Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. So in football, there's certain perceptions. And the biggest one, the biggest part of discussion is probably CTE. Um, And there is research out there. And I could easily, I have a couple groups of friends, colleagues, I could go and look at social media posts that they've made or articles they've written arguing both sides that the, Oh, the, the data is inconclusive or the data is very conclusive, you know, and, and you can turn on, you can watch the movie concussion. You, you come out with all this. Oh, this is, you know, some people are going, this is a foregone conclusion. Other people are going, the data is not out there. So I think there is just so much of even our conversation today which yeah. is probably going to be an evolving conversation. But I think the real reason I wanted to have it is because I am not well-versed in the, the research. I think you are when it comes to the effects, uh, not just physical, but the emotional and mental effects of football, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you that I try to be, in fact, I have um, reflecting on this. I don't know if I've ever even said this out loud. I think if, if the research on CTE didn't start to sort of hit public consciousness, I'm not sure I would have gone to Harvard, meaning it was once this stuff started to enter my mind and the mind of the public conscience, um, I started to do my own research on it. I was looking into, I was really, and, and, and became honestly at a time, mildly obsessive. And um, that brought me down. I'm looking at neuroscience, cognitive neuroscience and psychology, sort of three realms of of mildly obsessive. You, I I think I, I think I, (laughs) I, well, I I spent a lot of, I spent a lot of time. um, I spent a lot of time at least very diligent in my research, but uh, potentially obsessive. And, um, and, and that's ultimately why I went to grad school because I got to the point where it was like, uh, went back to grad school was I got to the point where I didn't, I, I no longer knew what it was that I didn't know. And I didn't think that my own self-directed independent study was going to get me there. So I, I wanted to reach out to people. So I, I, I am not a neuroscientist, but I did take a special interest in cognitive neuroscience in my graduate. Study. Well, so, and I think that's, what's really important here is that, if I was to bring a neuroscientist on here to talk about the question that we're going to kind of really tackle, which is should American football, mm-hmm. sh- should we continue to play it? Really? Honestly, is it, is it, do the benefits outweigh the risks? Are the risks so great that should we continue to play it? Like, I think that's kind of maybe a strong statement that could really bother some people. And, uh, but I think there are certain people that are starting to ask that question and it's not, I'm even saying administrators, the administrators are asking that from a financial standpoint and probably from uh, a health standpoint, but parents, but parents are obviously asking, they're putting their kids in other sports. So people are having the conversation, should I put my kid in American football or not? So I think if I was to bring a neuroscientist on there, I don't think we would have the same quality of conversation that we're about to have because you've played American football, you are a teacher, you're a football coach, you're a strength and conditioning coach, and you have a, an understanding of neuroscience that the average person in your field of teaching and coaching doesn't have, you know? So I think that's why this is going to be a really valuable conversation and I'm going to learn a lot, you know? 
Well, I'm, I'm excited. I was so pumped when you, when we last spoke, it just got me really thinking. And I could tell like you had a, such a thoughtful level of, I, I wonder if, if empathy or understanding, you were so cautious to say like, you know, this doesn't have to be fate. We don't want to be, you know, we're not necessarily picking sides. I thought it was so thoughtful. And, and I'm just, I, for me, I wish you could be inside my head. Like I was so relieved and refreshed that you'd even want to bring it to the surface. Cause this is just like sort of where, this is where I hope we can get um, not just you and I, but like uh, all of us is being, you know, be willing to ask difficult questions and then be willing to have the conversations that can get us to some sort of conclusion. But you have to ask the hard question first. And then, you know, that, that applies to everything that's in, in this situation. It's, it's in, you know, we said an election, it's in a political discussion. It is um, in, in everything sort of day to day. It's in our relationships. If you don't bring up the challenge, the hard questions, you never get to a place of, of higher understanding. And then your decisions are ultimately made by uh, they're limited in, in how much information that they um, ultimately are, are influenced by, if that makes sense. You make uninformed decisions where mm-hmm. you, you or you listen to the movie. I I have not seen the movie Concussion really deliberately. And it's like, I just don't want I, I watched the trailer. I don't want Will Smith car chases fire. And, you know, like, I don't want that <laughs> to be an influencing factor on how I approach this discussion. Because like, you're so right. You're just, it's just too important a discussion. I played football for a long time. It changed my life for the better. So incredibly grateful for the opportunity. But if I ever got to the place where, where, and, and maybe today's discussion, who knows, maybe we'll get to a different place just by talking together today. But if I ever got to the place where I really felt like there was more harm than good, or there was an absolute negative outcome from participation, I would be um, at, at the front line of, we got to shut this thing down. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have no, you know, I have no qualms about that. I, you know, my, my, uh, my mindset is just different than it was when I was, you know, sort of in the midst of my career. It's, it's uh, yeah. 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 So I'm, th- I'm, I'm with you. So let's, let's take this from the perspective, not necessarily shut it down, but yeah. we're talking to, the parents out there, the people like myself, like I'm going to come at it from a parent perspective, but I think I'm yeah. also going to come at it from a perspective of someone that sees the potential benefits mm-hmm. of sports to do good and to build character. So, yeah, you know, I think we're kind of coming and, and obviously the good athlete project is, is about that too, you know? And it's, so I think we're coming at it from, you know, from a parent's perspective, but we're also coming at it from people that love sport that want to continue to try to do good with sport. So we kind of have two varying perspectives. Where should we start as far as arguments against participation in American football? Like, I think there's a few arguments that I think I threw out there of just points of yeah. discussion. Which one do you want to start with? Well, I think, I think that, first of all, it's a really good thing. And I want to uh, once more clarify my position. I don't have a child. Uh, I hope to one day. <laughs> I know that would add an element to the way I think about yeah. it. Uh, I, I will. I want to say that, but I would also say that um, I have a godson, my nephew, who's yeah. pretty young, my sister's child. And I'll tell you that, um, I mean, I get choked up just thinking about it. Like there's, there's very few people or things on the earth that matter more to me than that kid. Yeah. So, so if I, if I only look at it through like, where will this, you know, that influences my, my thinking as well. Um, so I, I think there are two, 
I think there are two major pillars in the discussion, and you brought them both up um, in our uh, communication. One of them is is the I, I, I would break them into the physical and the psychological, loosely speaking, yeah. being the threat of of downstream really negative and scary effects like like these these tragic cases that you see of of guys with cte post-career nfl guys mostly but we can get into that um with cte and, it, and it's i'm not, i'm not being dramatic tragic story and then the other is sort of the psychological effect which is this cost benefit of um like you use the term hyper masculinity i hope no one you know we'll, we'll get all sorts of people listening to this i hope um, hypermasculinity is, is this coming from someone who played 16 seasons of football and competed in a powerlifting meet like a, a few months ago like I can be a meathead at this, but I will also say that like hypermasculinity in, in terms of uh, taking toughness and a certain sort of mindset that comes along with being sort of a modern day warrior on the bat on the football battlefield gridiron uh, to not be able to shut that off when you go into uh, a business meeting or into a relationship or take that down a few steps, I mean, th- that sort of toxic, dangerous masculinity mm-hmm. can also be built. So I think those are the two major fears. If I'm, are we on the same page there? Is that, does that sound yeah. right? Yeah, I think those are, I think that's it. And I think it's the potential outcomes of what could potentially happen downstream. Not right. saying that we're not saying that, you know, you know, and that's where the risk versus reward is like, oh, it's not if I put my son into football, they're going to come out there. I think it's just like, how big of an issue are those two things? Like, how right. much are the cards stacked against me that this isn't become a long term right. problem for for my son if, if he was to play football? So right. I think that's what it's at. So yes, those are the two threads for sure. I'm, I'm with you. And, and that that clarifies. And then I think that will influence our discussion really well, because. I agree that I think those are the two, again, I am not saying those are the absolute outcomes. Those are the two primary concerns of, of yeah. people when they have this discussion. Um, and I think that they are valid concerns because there's no, I'll, I'll just start with this. Um, do we want to start physical or psychological? What, what, what's more exciting to you? Let's, let's start physical. Let's start physical okay. because that's the one that's on the main part of the discussion. I think the psychological for me is probably more, more interesting where I want to go down, but I do want to unpack the physical with you first. Yeah. So, right. Fair enough. So, uh, CTE, it, it is, it is what I would say is that's probably the biggest fear for people. Mm-hmm. And it is certainly not an absolute guaranteed outcome of participation. In football. So here, here's the way that I try to sort of unbraid this is, absolute worst case scenario actually would be death you know and it you know you you something happens on the field and someone passes away that happened you know repeated concussions brain bleeds back in the day when you know before they moved the field goal uh post back to the back of the end zone folks you know you could you know so acute dying that absolute worst right behind that though is a deterioration of quality of life so badly um in some of these cases of cte that you that you you can't live and ultimately die from this neurodegenerative disease. Um, this is something that I think needs to be understood in a more thorough way for everyone, and, but espe- maybe especially parents. Um, we have to 
I think, separate the discussion. Concussions and CTE are not directly. You, you know, concussions, theoretically, and we can go down this road if we want, might lead to some chronic traumatic encephalopathy that has a, a certain, um, <clears throat> they, they called it a, a ghost spindle, but it leaves a certain marker on the brain. Uh, post-mortem, you, you know, in autopsy, you find this certain very specific marker, a uh, cow spindle in the brain that, that would suggest that the um, neurodegeneration and all the things that come along with that happened because of chronic uh, impacts or, or chronic trauma. That is that thing that everyone's sort of afraid of is not the same as a concussion. The human people get concussed all the time, regardless of sport. Like, you know, concussion essentially, like, there's obviously there's degrees of this, but like, man, I see little toddlers running around my neighborhood, bouncing off things, like falling off the couch. And like, you know, yeah. this happens to humans and far more often than not, they're okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we should limit, in my opinion, we should do everything we can to limit concussions. We certainly don't want that. But I'm, I also don't want the idea that like, if you are ever concussed, that this is some sort of damning situation that the outcome of CTE is now predetermined and, and you're just stuck. I think that's a real problem actually. And, and um, that has played out. I don't know if you ever heard the name Todd Ewan. He was an NHL player who uh, committed suicide or, or died by suicide rather is, is the more accurate term died by suicide. It was like late thirties, early forties, something like that. He was early forties post-career. Uh, because he was having all sorts of symptoms of what he thought was CT. He was depressed. He was, et cetera, et cetera, having a hard time managing his life post-career and ultimately took his own life. This came in the presence of this really sort of terrifying narrative about CTE. Well, they did an autopsy after Todd Ewan passed away. Todd didn't have CTE. The guy was just depressed. And mm-hmm. the issue, now I don't mean to say just depressed, I, that, that is a tragic situation on its own, but, but the issue became, here's this depressed guy who did not reach out for support in the ways that perhaps he could have because he thought he had this disease that was damning to him. He thought that there, there wasn't a way out. That, to me, is a really, um, that's a narrative that we should really fight against. Um, mm. Anyway, especially when you start to have this discussion that links concussion or CTE with, with suicide, because that's a, there's a complexity there that is all its own. You know, that's a, that's a yeah. really complicated idea. Uh, so so yeah. when it comes to the data, because you have spent time with it, it's, it's very fascinating to realize that, you know, that it's not just a correct, direct correlation, mm-hmm. but... You know, what can you tell us about the research when it comes to where the risks is for CTE? Um, you know, in one sense is one of my questions is like, okay, when are we at risk of that being an issue in American yeah. football? But we could obviously be talking about other sports uh, yeah. of many sports out there. Uh, hockey, ice hockey being one of them, uh, rugby being another, you know, um, but we're going to keep our conversation American football day, but like where do the risks grow when it comes to CTE? Yeah. And secondly, the other part is, you know, when do concussions, do they start to become problematic? 
you know, that we should be yeah. concerned about, Oh, that's, that's maybe too many. Like, cause you often hear about that. It's like, Oh, he's had one too many there. You know, I yeah. guess those are my, the mo- those are my initial questions from you. They're good questions. I think, I think, uh, well, and, and, right. We'll focus on football today. I, I think a question I ask people pretty often is, uh, especially those who are sort of vehemently against football. And there is a constituency out there, uh, whether it's on Twitter or whatever, that it, that is against football. What I would say is, are you, you know, do, do you, you know, if we're looking at this from sort of a, through a public health lens, do we want to, if we're assuming that a certain amount of concussions will ultimately lead to chronic traumatic encephalopathy and all the symptoms that come with it, shouldn't we be just talking about that? Meaning, um, are we trying to dismantle football or are we trying to reduce the risk across the population for that outcome? And if we are, and we want to just look at sports, then, you know, if we say we were to just clip the, the, the limb off this tree and say football, we're no longer just in a hypothetical situation. Well, just based on the frequency and I can, I'll send you some um, uh, articles that include some specific yeah, numbers on we, this. If that's we can put but, this in the details of the episode. We'll put those, those links in there for people perfect. that are listening. Uh, that's perfect because I think people would be really surprised that um, if you if say, say there's like a minimum threshold and, and beyond this exposure, you know, frequency, the frequency exposure, um, uh, injury overexposure would, would create the frequency. Sorry to use annoying terms, but w- once, if you say there's a threshold and above that threshold, this becomes too dangerous. And we're saying that football is in that threshold of too dangerous. Then you'd also, so you get rid of it in this hypothetical situation. You also get rid of, like you said, hockey, you get rid of lacrosse, you get rid of wrestling, you get rid of, uh, soccer. Um, those are some of the big ones. This is, this is one I, I sort of joke about it every once in a while. I've written some articles about this. One of the most dangerous sports out there is horseback, right? Mm-hmm. Legitimately in terms of, uh, it, death and severity of injury, including like bad concussion, um, over frequency of exposure. You know what I mean? Injury over exposure. Yeah, yeah. Equestrian is like really, it's definitely worse than football in that sense. And I'm not, you know what I mean? And I'm not calling out horse you know, those who are riding horses, but, but I think we have to clarify yeah. what the discussion um, is and to really when you, let me just it. cut you off there. When you say frequency yeah. of exposure for very simple terminology, you're just talking about the amount that you're actually participating in the activity. Yeah. You know, you're exactly right. So, so, so what yeah. they, the way they measure it is injuries over exposures and by exposures, they mean uh, potential to be injured. So say you play, yeah. say it's one injury for every 100 full contact plays. It's not that, but hypothetically, that would yeah. be the frequency of injury. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really, really important to hear that. And then yeah. at what point should be, we be worried about in sports? And we'll use American football example. Like, do you think there becomes, you know, really start to become really risky? You know, like our, mm. I would imagine NFL players are at a higher risk than peewee footballers because NFL players are built to be pretty much killing machines practically, you know, uh, yeah. to, 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 to rough to, to, to light people up, you know, um, you know, like they're, they're, you know, really made to inflict pain on people. So I imagine the risks go up would be just my guess, but I haven't looked at any research, you know? 
Yeah, totally. Well, so what I would say is there's, um, there's three key factors. One of them I don't like getting into because it looks, it, it, it really would take us down a slippery slope of, uh, it's a, a slippery slope. It's, you'd have to, <laughs> you'd have to understand people's genetic makeup and you'd have to okay. start, you know, because there is a, uh, there is absolutely a predisposition to become concussed. Um, okay. and, and, and experience these long-term outcomes. There's one gene in particular that's been linked to a lot of the negative long-term outcomes is APOE4, uh, and, and not to go too far into it, but like, you know, if, if you are genetically predisposed to these things, that's, that's, that's risk number one. Um, can can I ask a quick question on that? That, yeah. is there a way that you can test for that in the common population? Mm-hmm. Like, so I could go, yeah. hey, is my kid predisposed to? Yeah, you can. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and I don't know. Uh, I won't endorse any. I won't endorse any company. But you could Google that and and yeah. find one hundred that you can. Okay. I don't know I how just, reliable it is. You know, uh, if you're sending saliva through the mail, I just don't know. It could be totally reliable. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, okay. Just curious that, out, of, out of curiosity. I don't want yeah, you to go no, too think, deep down that, but I think that's an important point. The first thing is some people are you know, genetically. And that's, and that's a lot, a lot of things in life, mental health, you know, when it comes to mental illness, people are genetically predisposed to that, you know? So it's just, I think being aware of that, uh, you know, even just looking at your family history could be one thing, you know? Uh, Totally. So you had two other ones you were saying that are a big thing. Well, even, and I'll I'll throw one more out there, even on the genetic level, like, uh, you know, people have different skull thicknesses, People have different amounts, pockets, different, different size pockets of cerebral spinal fluid inside their brain that it, it's there to cushion the brain. So, you know, there is genetic variation in all sorts of ways, human to human. So it's really hard to say. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why that's such a slippery slope, because all of a sudden you, you don't want to start measuring people for uh, yeah. their yeah. physiological and genetic quality. Um, okay. But uh, the, the next two are, are intensity and intensity next three actually intensity duration and frequency so um the intensity of the impact obviously plays a role in in um potential concussion risk in fact uh well it it was 2016 so imagine a kickoff um on a low level because because part of what we're discussing here is how could we make things safer if we wanted to yeah um a kickoff that's like a freaking full head of steam you know you got a bunch of linebacker db types usually on your kickoff team running down the field full head of steam taking people out if they can uh the ivy league in 2016 actually this has now happened since 2016 it's happened across football but in in 2016 ivy league uh moved up the kickoff like they pushed it up five yards that's all it was um and concussions on the kickoff went from approximately one in a hundred to one in 500 concussions wow. on, on that sort of play across the epic. So, so little things like that, there were more touchbacks, you know what I mean? There wasn't as much of a head of steam built up as they were running. Um, you know, so, so little, you know, there are some, some reasons to be optimistic in the idea that change the game positively. Uh, but, but the other, you know, so there, that'd be an intensity question. And I think of this a lot. You mentioned peewee football and NFL. Um, I played, you know, I played small college football. I loved it, but I, but it was, you know, it was 
uh, it was small college. I wasn't playing at Alabama. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then you take those Alabama guys and on draft day, 80% plus of those guys that went that played at Alabama, they're sitting at home. So they don't make it to the next level. So to kind of, to your point, when you talk about like NFL football, you are talking about superhuman and, and just the absolute, uh, there's nothing like that. I have never felt a hit. I played 16 seasons of football. I've never felt a Ray Lewis caliber hit. You know, so uh, if you assume, again, intensity plays a role in the amount of damage incurred, then you and I, even though we're clearly multiple time Shamrock Bowl champion badasses, we just <laughs> we just never we just never experienced that for better or worse. And that's not to say that we you know, that that. I don't know how much that matters or will matter in either of our lives, but I do know that the intensity was just. different. Yeah, so definitely. the intensity and there's the duration. Okay. The duration is, you know, I played 16 seasons. That's a long time. You got guys out there that are playing 20 years in the NFL. So they've, yeah. they've come through whatever, four years of, of pop peewee, four years of high school, four years of college, then 20 years in the NFL duration changes significantly. And then the last one is uh, uh, frequency. And that's probably one of the ones that we, that is more under our control and, and it's something that we should look at. So frequency, I, I think about that a lot. Like I, I, you wouldn't want to do, you've heard like the Oklahoma drill or any, any big hitting drill, you know, something like that, or, or bull in the ring. I don't think people actually do that anymore, but if you were to do that on a day, say you, you, you it would be ill-advised to do it again the next day. And then again, the next day, you know, yeah. the body is amazing at recovery, you know, our, our, our cells in our arms and our legs and our bones and our brain are amazing at recovering. It really is a special thing. And we, and, and they adapt, but if you don't give them time to recover and adapt, now you're talking about, you know, just exacerbating the damage. And I think that's where a lot of the concern lies. Uh, mm -hmm. If you have a concussion and return to play too early, now you're talking about, you know, you throw all these other things out the window, like you're putting yourself yeah. in a bad way. So let me ask this then. And then I want to go down and I have, another, I have another question about concussions, but it sounds like the risks based upon those factors, just for many people become greater, the longer you're playing essentially down towards the NFL. And then there could be kind of this moral or ethical question of like, okay, so now are we at the gladiator games where we're just, when it comes to the NFL, we're just paying to see mm. these, you know, I think that might be the argument some would, would make, which I think is an extreme argument, an extreme statement. But, but some might say, are we just paying for people to, to, you know, to kill each other, you know, is, is what certain people might say. That's um, interesting. So what would you say to that, you know, to that type of argument? I think it's a, I, I don't know that I have a, a, a place in the argument, but I, but I do know that I think it's a fair one to bring up. Um, because yes, these people are, they're making tons of money, not just to entertain, but because they're assuming a certain level of risk, you know? Um, so I think it's a fair argument to bring up. It is to some degree, it is modern day gladiators, obviously. But I would say though, that, that it obviously not as extreme as that. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. But, but the ethical concern is a real thing. Minimally, 
here, here's what I know about that intention, uh, uh, intensity, duration, and frequency thing is, look, and this, this belongs in the discussion too. There have been 300, only 300 documented cases of CTE in all of the world's literature. Um, they have found the same cow, cow spindle biomarker in people who played baseball, but no football, uh, in people who didn't play anything, who did not play sports. This has appeared in other places within the population. So that's, you know, recognizing that that's not a guaranteed outcome, I think is important. What is all, what is guaranteed in my opinion is if intensity is high enough and duration is high enough, frequency of injury is high enough. I mean, you cannot come out of an NFL career just clean. You know, you're going to be walking with a limp and, uh, or, or whatever it might be. You're going to have, you know, I don't know what the average number of surgeries for, for an NFL player is, but it's got to be half dozen for a lot, you know, and a lot of the people <laughs> yeah. I've talked to and, and you get to the point where it's nothing. It's like, Oh, you ruptured your patellar tendon. Uh, okay. You get, you get surgery, you spend nine months in rehab and, you, and you're back at it or whatever it might be. You have a graph from this place to that place. It, it's sort of the norm. So, um, yeah. So that's, that kind yeah. of is when we talk about the negative consequences, the potential negative consequence, I think you've made a great argument that, Football is not alone in sports. And when we talk about gladiator games, you know, we could say the same thing about NASCAR or any sort of racing sport or many yeah. other things that we like to pay people to do for our own entertainment. Right. So there's a you're, lot you're, of things. You're sitting in, in one of the rugby hubs of the world. Yeah. So yeah. there is many yeah. sports. So um, that it comes to. Let's talk about the benefits, the physical benefits and how they match up potentially against other sports. You know, and I think that there is, you know, you, you've mentioned obviously lots of injuries and stuff. I guess one thing as a person that wants to promote sport for good, you could, mm -hmm. one thing could be like, ah, as a parent, I have a hesitation because most people that play American football will not play past 18, 19 years of age. And if they pat, play right. past then, they will probably most likely not play past 22 years of age. If they play past right. 22, there's still a very, very small, they will be in yeah. the NFL. They'll be playing Canadian football league, or maybe they'll be fortunate enough to play like me and you, which was in the Irish American football league for a few years. Right. Um, you know, so it's when it comes to long-term athlete development and long-term involvement in sport, you know, I don't know if there's research out there, but do the people that play soccer or basketball, do they continue to be more active and healthy later in life Ooh. than people that play football? Like is mm. football like, yeah, you're out now, right now I'm going to sit back and, you know, eat donuts for the rest of my life and not work mm. out. You know, you obviously are not that case. You are incredibly fit. You do lots of uh. weightlifting. I didn't know if you had ever looked into that, but I would just be really curious on the long-term athlete development, which is obviously our goal is, is, is one of our goals within sports, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, I don't have an exact number, but I've got some sort of anecdotal ev quote unquote evidence. Um, <clears throat> it seems to me from, from my experience, and I, I've been very fortunate to, um, to work with sort of the entire gamut of athletes, um, swimmers, you know, every, whatever you can think of, swimming, water polo, lacrosse, field hockey, football, 
it's everything. I I feel very lucky um, from that perspective. Post career, what I what I think I have found is, man, this is a really good discussion. I'm not I'm going to come right back to it, not derail it because it. But I'm going to add one more thing on the front end. Um, and, and you might know this, but more than 100 million Americans are diabetic or, or have what's referred to as pre-diabetes. Like they're right on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so sports are needed. And, and I don't, you know, we could, you know, someone who is, was anti-sport might try to make the case that, well, you could, account, you could be healthy just going on jogs and doing body weight pushups and lunges and stuff like, well, people, look, human beings, psychology is a real thing and nobody's freaking doing that. <laughs> They're getting out to go be with their friends and, and play yeah. soccer or play football because it fits with their personality and for whatever reason. So sports are necessary. Um, they're one of the few real combatants to that hundred million diabetic or pre-diabetic uh, yeah. health, national health dilemma. That um, post-career though is a really interesting idea. I think what I've found is that the more intense and specific a sport was during the career, uh, the more support an athlete needs in transitioning. Meaning like I think of uh, instead of before going down the football line, I think of like swimmers, swimmers, because it's such a, uh, because they have such high volume, you know, the impact in the water obviously is, is not the same as, as um, so they, they train more, you know, swimmers oftentimes, especially elite ones from very early age, start going, super early in the morning and then another practice mm-hmm. after school or in, in, in on the off days, maybe they do dry land training with weights and things. And uh, it, it's a really intense environment. You want to be a serious swimmer. So swimmers oftentimes uh, I've seen have, have, have will occasionally have a, di- have a difficult transition to make because you, know, you need the pool, you need the water. You're not necessarily, you're not, it's not natural for you to, to, pop up in the morning, do some body squats, go on a jog. You know, uh, it, it's such a specific environment that you got used mm-hmm. to that the transition, oftentimes people will need a little bit of support. I think football is sort of similar in that way. Um, if nothing else, you know, I play flag, I play flag football. I play touch football, I, you know, these things, but you will never be able to replicate tackle football in that same way. So um, oftentimes I think in the, now I'll fast forward into your question directly. I think there's a combination of that thing is so hard to replicate that, that sometimes athletes will need support, um, on the back end. I also think that thing of contact sports and football sometimes will leave people so banged up and, and tired and achy that they feel like they need a break. And then the question is, will you come out of that, um, that recovery phase post-career uh, mm-hmm. focused on being healthy and well for a lifetime? And, and I don't know, but of course you've seen, there's, you know, a ton of cases of a, a running back who was such a, who, who looked like a, just a freak of nature in his career. And then he, you know, he looks like the Michelin man by the time he's 40. <laughs> and, um, you know, th- so there's, there's, that happens. Yeah. Um, but I do think people are becoming more and more aware of it. Yeah, you, you see uh, Joe Thomas, Hall of Fame offensive tackle, post career. These some of these guys are really getting fit, getting into CrossFit things like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think like me, you and I talking today, the two of us talking, things like this are really necessary because you know if we actually if we want to change those outcomes, um, 
then we have to bring it into yeah like awareness folks have to be aware that that's going on never want to change yeah Uh, and just kind of as you're talking i'm kind of going this is something we need to be intentional about i think we need to be intentional about transitions from Mm -hmm. performance sport to you know recreational sport all the time i think it's something that's completely underserved (laughs) from a from a psychological standpoint in a big way but even from a physical standpoint right so I, I would just guess, and I don't like to guess, but I would just guess that probably that the pathway for football does not lead to as much participation. You know, I think even just culturally, it varies too. I know in Ireland, long-term people playing sport, you know, playing Gaelic football, rugby leagues, seven months, it's just, there's a greater participation mm-hmm. across the community in competitive sport, you know, um, yeah. which I think is a really, which I really enjoy about the culture here. You know, there's more opportunities. There's the over 35s football league that I'm so excited to sign up for next year you know, <laughs> with Karen stack, our friend, you know, like I'm just, I that's mean, I just, amazing. there's, and I, I'm sure that's half the time just a pint tree concession after every, sure. after every training. But you know what I mean? The idea is I, I think we need to be better about providing those opportunities, but also helping people transition. So I, I, yeah, I, you make some great points to all that, just being intentional in there. Yeah, and, and you're right, and I think you chose the right word, is it all comes down to intentionality. We, we, um, the, the mantra of the Good Athlete Project, we call it practical mindfulness, and we, at, any, at, at one point, um, in all of our work, in all of our consulting or workshops or, or even just casual conversations, we get to be eventually to the point where we ask a question um, of people. And that question is, does your behavior match your goal? And mm-hmm. I, I've shared this with you before, but it's amazing how uncomfortable that makes people sometimes um, just because they've never had to wrestle with it before. But, yeah. but it really, what it comes down to is like an operating level of intentionality, continually revisiting that. And the truth is, and, and this is when you get really good at it, you recognize that sometimes the answer is no, and you forgive yourself and you move on. But uh, it, it oftentimes you find out that like, well, maybe I w- maybe I didn't realize what my goal was, you know, and I and I think and that's why I haven't watched the movie Concussion with Will Smith, you know, um, because I, I don't I don't like the idea that folks would get wrapped up in villainizing football. I love the idea that someone would want to make sure that their child was healthy and well. You know, what I mean? so if, if you if you say that's my goal, healthy and well, well, physically and psychologically, okay, now we can have an informed discussion about this. You know, we can, we can examine the risks and, and hold those risks up to other potential risks. And we can talk about the threat of, uh, like you were talking about, like toxic mas- masculinity and hypermasculinity versus the ultimate team sport where 11 people are choreographed in, in a way that, that just doesn't exist, even in other sports, you know, and you start having uh, important discussions. But it's only when you identify the outcome that you can start having a, a discussion that funnels toward it. And I, th- I think it's going to be a nice segue into our, our second kind of piece, which is psychological. But what I think is great about this conversation is obviously sometimes this reflection on football really is just bringing to the surface things that should be present in all sports, which you just said mm-hmm. there, right? Like we need to be focused it's not about this. This conversation really is not about football. It's about just the physical and psychological benefits of all sports 
and mm-hmm. the risks within all sport and us being aware of those and how we can right. use these to tap into the good and try to m- really mitigate the, the risks in there. So yeah. when we talk about psychological, um, mm-hmm. I, I wrote an article, you know, just on my, my newsletter recently enough. Uh, it was also kind of a culture builder streaming episode, just kind of about how I was coming. I had this question like, geez, do I, would I want my son to play American football? Would I, and I must even say American mm-hmm. football, I'm thinking rugby or just high risk, violent sports. And what it, what it came yeah. from was I read this quote and I'm, I think I sent it to you, but I'm going to read it out here for the listeners. But I read this quote from the great football coach, uh, Bill Walsh, coach of the 49ers and his book, the score takes care of itself. And it instantly just like, hmm. just kind of triggered this thought process. So it, it, and Walsh says in the book, he says, the cruelty of the sport, both mental and physical was almost repellent to me. Not mm. what occurs during the game so much as the brutal attitudes and practices I saw when I was coming up, treating players in an almost thug-like manner, working them, them to death, and in practice, pitting one against another, disrespecting their intelligence, dehumanizing them, and all of the rest of it. It just seemed to be a cruel model of leadership, an ineffective way of bringing out great performance for an organization filled with highly competitive and usually intelligent individuals who just happen to be fantastic athletes. End quote. Hmm. So when I hear that, it's not even will you send me that, that quote. Yeah, I will definitely. Point? Or did you yeah. send that in the email? That's amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So when I hear that, it does not make me think of CTE risks. What it makes me think of, and I read a lot of books, and I read a lot, and I really love stories. Read. It makes it brings me back to Friday Night Lights. You know, the, hmm. the book, not the movie. The book is phenomenal, right? It brings me back to the book, The Blind Side. Like, of just, you start to see these things that maybe are, there's an argument are a little bit more prevalent in football, American football culture, even inside out coaching. Joe Ehrman, you know, kind of calls out, you know, and he's only been in American football culture in the sense that it's where he grew up and played in. So he's right. coming from that perspective. Some might say that it is more prevalent. These type of attitudes are more prevalent in American football or a sport like American football where violence is rewarded, mm-hmm. that it becomes more prevalent in there. What do you think of that quote? Just first off, though, I think it's really powerful, especially considering the source. And I also think it's accurate. And once again, I don't think that any of this is absolute. I have been really, really fortunate in my time as an athlete, uh, high school, college, and and, uh, even like uh, arena football where where there were, you know, just some, some really good guys and some really meathead type guys. And, and then the uh, obvious intellectuals playing in the Irish American football league. Uh, so I've seen a, a broad spectrum. Of, intellectuals. I don't think anybody ever called the, the University of Limerick Vikings uh, intellectuals, but we'll, I'm going to take that. You, you didn't, it, 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 the, it was between Limerick Vikings and Limerick intellectuals. That was, uh, <laughs> you were deciding between the two. Uh, but I've seen, I, I mean, like I said, my life has been changed for the better. Uh, because of football, I, I think back. Even I think back to my high school career. I felt incredibly supported. I think back to my college career. I was actually just on a podcast yesterday talking about 
really focused on what we call the hidden curriculum of my experience playing football at Knox College and like the sort of conversations that had that we had sort of language that our coach was using. We played Knox Knox plays Monmouth College. Not it's not a household thing, but the Knox Monmouth rivalry is is one of the longest standing rivalries in all of NCAA football. 120 years or something. And when we when they used to gear us up for that game, it was never like F you Monmouth. These guys, you know, it was never building hatred for Monmouth. It was always building respect for the the rivalry and remembering that it was the person next to you, the people on your side of the field that like, that's who you were playing for. You didn't play because you hated your opponent. You played because you cared about your team. And that was sort of the messaging that I got explicitly and subliminally throughout my career. And that's, I think why I value it. Now that said, I've been, I've been a coach for, maybe this is really going to age me and it's, and it's uh, unfortunate. It's, it's tough to think about, but if you consider the fact that when I went away to college, um, my job during the summer was coaching. I would coach varsity through freshman summer camps every, every summer in college and go from there. So I, um, I mean, I've been coaching for almost 20 years at this point, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. almost, almost, you know, yeah. almost not quite, but so I, and, and I've had a variety of experiences in the, in the good athlete project cloud. And allowed us to work with so many good people, just like you, you know, as you get, you just broaden your horizons and your amount of perspectives and you're supporting people, but you're all also building your own understanding. And I say all that to say, mostly to keep it ambiguous regarding who I'm talking about, <laughs> but, uh, but I have seen those things that you're talking about. I've, I've seen um, adult men, uh, blur this out if you want, but, uh, or I'll, I'll try to censor myself a little bit, but look into the face of a kid say you dumb M effort, you know, to a kid and, and, and shout on the field, things like that. And I've seen a, a position coach get into the face of a child. And I swear this is true and say, F you just screaming into the, uh, an adult screaming into the face of a child say F you and the head coach, not doing a damn thing about it. You know, I, I've seen this play out. It is not the norm. It is not the norm, but it does happen. And I, for that reason, we have to be aware of it and wary of it. And I'll tell you, it's just like just like the Ivy League moving the uh, the, the the kickoff back. They could have said the Ivy League's like there's no more storied and and and, and uh, there's no more storied tradition than Harvard, Yale, and some of those. You know, some of the very first football American football games ever played on, you know, on the soil of this country. And, you know, they, they really, this meaning that, you know, who other than the Ivy league would have had the opportunity to say, no, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way it's going to be. There's tradition here. Well, the Ivy league adjusted the kickoff thing because they cared about their people and they adjusted, they, they changed the norm. They didn't fully uproot the sport, but they adjusted the, the norm. They pivoted. And I think, um, that's a startling comment from Bill Walsh. Um, but like I said, it resonates with me. And I think what we're looking at hopefully now um, is an opportunity to change the norm. It can't be, we, we can't be permissive. We, we can be understanding. And here's where I'd go one step further because I am on the side of coaches. And if the, if the coach that looked into the eyes of a kid and said, F you wants to come talk to me about anything, I'm with you. 
And I still believe, even though that there is that sort of dark spot on the resume of the coach, that that person probably has the best intentions. Uh, you know, they, they were trying to rile up or motivate or, or, or hold someone accountable. Ob- there are obvious concerns with the methods, but, uh, I, you know, I, I wouldn't sort of, um, you know, we talk about cancel culture sometimes. I'm not canceling that person out. If that person wants to talk, uh, let's do it. But yeah. But but I, I do think that um, whether it's on the administrative level or the head coaching level or the peer-to-peer level, that uh, that stuff, we, we have to take a different view yeah. of it. And, or come to a different acknowledgement when asked the question, does our behavior match our goal? Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.